Welcome to Between the Shelves, the premier Save a Library podcast. I'm your host, Alex, and I am joined once again by Christina. Hello. Thank you for coming back. Uh, this is a What Are You Into episode, and I'm excited because it's been almost a month since my last time I've recorded one of these, and I have a lot to talk about. Um, but if you enjoyed I hope you enjoyed our last episode where we talked about a lot about Star Wars, um, because we're going to be talking about Star Wars again this episode. Um, in particular... We just finished watching the Ahsoka series, and I want to do like a, a quick review with you about Ahsoka. Is that all right? Me? Yeah, you. <laughs> the listeners can't talk back. Yes. Uh, okay. So you were talking to the to the listener, oh, I'm sorry. Well, and then directed a question at me, and I was confused. Are you paying attention? <laughs> um, so, do you want to set up the the plot? I. I I'll be honest with you, I kind of get lost with these new Star Wars series in terms of like where they are placed in the canon and timeline of Star Wars. Can you kind of like set the table for us? Yeah, so I think this is like year-wise, I think it takes place, it's taking place at the same time as like The Mandalorian and maybe Obi-Wan. No, that can't be right. Obi-Wan's dead by now. So it's The Mandalorian. How about the movies? Just thinking of the movies. It's post it's after the Return original. of the Jedi. Okay. And before the sequel. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense to me. I think. The problem is... This is getting to my first problem with the, the show. The show is a sequel to a cartoon. That is also sort of a sequel to another cartoon. That is also kind of a sequel to another cartoon. And I'm not... So the, the cartoon, it's Star Wars Rebels. And they're part of the rebellion. But I think that they're not, they like, there are some interactions with like Vader and stuff, but they're, they have a different enemy. Yeah, it's sort of like happening tangentially to the movies, but it is all still canon in the Star Wars universe. Like Disney considers all of those cartoons canon. So by the cartoons, we mean the Clone Wars series, which runs for like, what, eight or nine seasons? I think it's. Eight. Eight seasons, plus a movie, and then Rebels happened after, or coinciding with the end of Clone Wars, maybe, which is itself five seasons, I think. Yeah. I have not seen any of that, so I am missing 14 series of television that is basically setting up this new show on Disney+, Plus, the live-action show. Yeah. Which is a continuation of Rebels, basically. Yes, and it takes place... A few years after, like, the finale of Rebels, where they, like, defeat Thrawn, but their friend goes missing. So, what I'm trying to get at is, I was extremely confused watching this for most of the season, because I didn't know who these characters were, or the backstory that surrounds them, and so much of this series no matter what Disney tells you, does rely on you kind of knowing what's going on, going into it. Yeah, so I... Which is kind of bewildering. Yeah, so I think part of the problem is they didn't advertise it that way. Yeah, they're kind of advertising it as like, this is the Jedi Mandalorian new show on Disney+. Plus, But it's not. It's a live-action continuation of a series that's been ongoing for over a decade. Yeah, which... I don't mind that it's structured that way. Like, I th- I do like that they're starting to do, like, more specific 
Star Wars things because maybe one day I'll get that Galactic Senate C-SPAN show. And like, I don't think it's a problem with the structure. It's that they're, they keep trying to advertise all Star Wars things to all Star Wars fans. And right. that's not possible with the way the show is structured. Like I spent most of my time watching, like Googling like things like, who is this person? Right. What happened? Like, what, what does this have to do with anything? Yeah, you're, that's a very good point. Um, the only show that uh, the Disney's done once once they've taken over Star Wars that seems to just cater to a specific demographic of Star Wars fans is Andor, and I think we can both agree it's their best. Yeah. Because it's it's only for a specific audience. It's not like yeah. all the other shows that are trying to appeal to new viewers, old viewers, diehard fans, sort of loose fans who have only seen the movies and everything and. And it kind of, this show, I think, kind of suffers because it, it is trying to be a new thing and onboard new people. But it also ha- is so, you know, chained by its the canon that it's based off of that y- you're kind of handcuffed as a writer because you have to appease all these people at once. And I think it kind of suffers. Yeah, I think... My biggest complaint is that there are all these like big sort of like emotional payoff moments that if you don't didn't watch Rebels mean nothing to you. And even like Thrawn isn't that intimidating because we don't really see him do anything scary. Like he doesn't obliterate a planet like almost immediately upon introduction. He's just like walking around. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a great again. That's. What I'm kind of alluding to is all of these characters, like all the, the, the plot points along the ser- the season, you know, they do have these emotional kind of peaks where they don't really mean anything to you if you don't know the backstory of these characters. Like there will be like this big emotional like musical s- score swell when like a character is in danger or they introduce a new character. And if you don't know who these people are, it means literally nothing to you. Like, I don't know if this is just an extra that they're introducing for this one episode or if this is guy has been in the show for 14 years and this is supposed to be, like, his big reveal. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, then again with Thrawn, who's the main bad guy of the series, if you haven't read any of the books or seen all these shows, you don't know anything about this guy. And they kind of just introduce him, like, dun-dun-dun, yeah. here's Thrawn. And, but he just looks like a blue Elon Musk. And you're like, okay, who is this, like... Just generic yeah. dude. And like the main conflict isn't something that he is sort of orchestrating really. Like it's the Night Sister who's really like doing everything. So it's like, well, why am I so scared of him when she seems right. to be the big When bad. there's these evil witches who are doing like black magic and stuff who seem to be kind of the, you know, the instigators of the, at least yeah. the, they're driving the action of the series. Yeah. And then Thrawn is kind of set up as this, like, strategic master gene, like, evil genius. But, like, you're watching the show and all of his plans don't work. So you're like, what does this guy even do? Like, but they, like, always end the episodes with, like, ah, oh, the plan, the, everything's going according to plan. But, like, we just watched 20 minutes of you just failing. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Um, okay, so we kind of <laughs> bashed on it for a little bit. There are some highlights. I think the acting's good. Yeah. Um, I think 
the production is fantastic. I think it's matches the Mandalorian certainly, if not exceeds it in some yeah. ways. Um, I like that they have a more diverse cast. I like that they have more female protagonists who are, uh, again, like propelling the series forward and not reacting to things, which I, I really like. Um, and it's not even Ahsoka, really. It's it's all the surrounding cast, too, that are really driving things forward, which I like. I wish I just cared about them more by, like, knowing what their deal is. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I mean, I do like that it has not... It's not following, like, one specific character like The Mandalorian does. Like, it kind of bounces around, and it has a lot of things going on, which kept me engaged, even if I was confused for most of it. Um yeah, do you want to talk about some of the connections to the this movies, in particular one character that I know you're very fond of? Oh, the Anakin? Mm-hmm. Um, so, Ahsoka was Anakin's apprentice in the Clone Wars, even though he's not really a Jedi Knight at that point, but they're fighting a war, so they give him a Padawan, and... They have a lot of disagreements and she ends up leaving the Jedi Order. And then I don't know what happens. And then she appears in Rebels. I have not, I've watched like five and a half, four and a half seasons of Clone Wars and zero Rebels. So this is all just like peripheral knowledge. So you're getting caught up too. At some point in Rebels, Ahsoka finds out that Darth Vader is Anakin. And I think that they have a big duel. And I don't know how that... I mean, obviously, they both survive. And now we're in... I didn't know that. I So I only know that because I Googled it. Because I was like, it's kind of weird that... So in Ahsoka, there's a lot of flashbacks to the Clone Wars. And then also... Anakin's force ghost like comes back to train Ahsoka and there are like flashes of Darth Vader in him even though he's been redeemed like his Darth Vader's theme plays and like there are just like all of these like allusions to Darth Vader so I was like she she seems pretty calm for someone who just found out that like her master was Darth Vader the biggest bad in the entire galaxy I will say those are my favorite parts of the whole season. And I think you and I might be the, maybe the only people in the universe who like when Star Wars acknowledges the prequels. <laughs> but my favorite part of the entire series, by a wide margin, was when they would cut back to the Clone Wars and they would have uh, Chris, what's his name? Hayden Christensen. Hayden Christensen uh sort of playing himself as a younger you know kind of like in the episode two era uh and ahsoka was like this young girl kind of following him around and kind of questioning the war and things like that i thought that was really well done the production of the clone war itself and those few scenes were really really cool i liked i want to see more of that um but i think the as far as like character development goes the thing that i was most interested in this season and the thing that kept me watching was ahsoka kind of grappling with uh the fact that her master who becomes darth vader is evil and then she's kind of questioning you know is that my destiny as well 
can I change my destiny? You know, what is my legacy? How can I continue the Jedi tradition or should I? And her kind of grappling with all those questions is really interesting to me. Yeah. And I think it also introduces one of the, one of like the antagonists, the, the older man who's like a Jedi. Yeah. I, I, that again was something I did not. I think he's supposed to be a gray Jedi, which is like not a Sith, but not like, a Jedi Jedi? So this is new to me. And as somebody who only watches the movies and the recent shows, that's not explained to me. So that's another thing. No, like... I think, I don't even think that's like a canon term. I think that's like a fan term because there are a lot of Jedi who aren't like in the temple doing whatever the council wants. Yeah. And that aren't Sith because there can sides, only basically. be two sith lords right like maybe i don't really understand the sith lore (laughs) so to have like another jedi there who is also like not like i'm good and there's nothing that can change that i'm gonna always do the right thing it's yeah i i don't know how to feel about him because i one i don't understand where his allegiances are i don't know anything about him i don't know if i should care about him he doesn't have any personality so it's hard to like even peg him as like a character i might be interested yeah, in yeah i was reading some episode synopses earlier and they also talk he has like an apprentice yeah kind of and i had totally forgotten that she existed, even though that she's like... Does most of the action. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, very... Unfortunately, they're, they're kind of forgettable. And you were mentioning how, like, you don't understand really the Sith lore. It's interesting, like, I don't know if Disney does either, or if they're kind of rewriting it right now, because the whole, like, the Sith... What are they called again? The Dark Sisters or the... Oh, the Night Sisters. The Night Sisters. That is all new to me. I know they are mentioned in one of the video games, but even that's not really explained, doesn't go into it in too much depth. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. Like, I don't know if Disney knows what, I mean, I'm sure they have a plan, but it, like, I don't really understand what's going on. And I, yeah, I was talking to my friends. We have a Star Wars dis- Discord where we're only allowed to talk about Star Wars. And I was like, do they have like a continuity person? Like, Brandon Sanderson, the author, has someone who goes through his books specifically to make sure that his lore matches up. Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't think that Disney has that. The Night Sisters are also a big, they have a big storyline in Clone Wars where they like help train Darth Maul's brother, whose name is Savage Opress. Opress? I love the Star Wars naming conventions. Yeah, yeah. and it's S-A-V-A-G-E, Savage Oppress, and like try to help him become Count Dooku's apprentice. Okay. Because the person who was Count Dooku's apprentice is a knight sister from Dathomir, and he's, she's failed him too many times, so he's mad. If you're listening to this right now and you're lost, you're not the only one. This is, like, my problem with Disney. It's, like, why are you trying to fill in all the gaps of the canon? Like, if you want to truly, like, get new viewers, start fresh. Just tell a new story. You know? Like... Yeah. As much as I love Anakin Skywalker, he doesn't 
need to be in everything. Like there doesn't need to be a Skywalker connection in every single yes. Star Wars yeah. property. Um, okay, we've been going on about Ashoka for a little bit. I know we have some other things we want to talk about. Do you have any other notes about Ahsoka? Um, where, where would you rank this in our Star Wars ranking? Do you, I don't really remember the categories, even, to be honest. I don't even remember the categories either. I don't know. I would say if you Mid- like... Mid-Chlorian? Yeah, if you like Mandalorian, I think this will suit you. Um, if you can put it past that you will be a little lost with the canon stuff and just just kind of trust that Disney will fill in the gaps for you in season two of Ahsoka, I think it's definitely worth a watch. Um, yeah, if you're like a diehard, like original trilogy is the best, you're probably going to hate this. But yeah, that, that was kind of where I landed on it too. Mid to not so hot on it. <laughs> Okay, I think that's going to do it for our review of Ahsoka. We're going to go to take a quick break right now, and when we come back, we're going to be changing gears and talking about some of the things we're into right now. Okay, and we are back. So let's put Ahsoka aside for a minute, and we'll talk about some of the other things we're into. So um, I'm just going to... I'm going to start, if that's okay with you. So... We're recording this well after Halloween, but I haven't recorded a What Are You Into since well before Halloween. So I just want to mention some of the spookier things that I was into during then. So there is a um, a Japanese manga graphic novel artist by the name of Junji Ito. He's sort of the Edgar Allan Poe slash H.P. Lovecraft of Japan. He's very famous. Maybe like a Stephen King would be a better analogy. Uh, he he's very famous for kind of inventing or pioneering a new genre of horror, basically. So I've always been aware of him. I've seen his influence in a lot of shows and other comic books and things I'm interested in, but I've never actually read any of his work. So in October, I read two of his books, um, both of which are available at Save a Library. One is called Deserter, which is actually a series of short stories. They range in quality. Some are genuinely creepy like very disturbing uh some are are duds but overall the artistry is fantastic uh he's a brilliant brilliant artist every frame is is composed in a a very fluid way where it's it's almost like you're watching a show like it's very he frames the action very well where it flows very nicely um it's very approachable and uh yeah it's there if you like kind of short horror stories um ghost stories in particular haunting kind of stuff this is a very unique style of it it's very unlike kind of american western ghost stories they're very very japanese inspired so it's very very unique i really like them the art style is great um so that's called deserter which is a uh, again short stories now the other book i read is called ramina or remina Oh, I read that one, too. I had to for... I was on an ALA committee to find the best graphic novels of a particular year. That was a nominee. Okay. I'm not sure when it came out, so I guess it's more recent. I think it had a more recent, at least, translation. Okay. Um, So this is a full-length graphic novel. It's basically the story of... a. It's sort of like a dystopian story where... There is a planet that appears out of nowhere and it's hurtling towards Earth. 
and it uh, it causes absolute chaos in the world. Everyone starts freaking out. You know, scientists say are saying it's going to collide with Earth and Earth's going to be destroyed. Um, you know, you're getting hints that the planet is sort of like swallowing up other planets as it's making its way to Earth. So there's that kind of like cosmic horror thing happening. And then um, basically the planet arrives, st- like stops kind of where our moon is and s- weird things start to happen on Earth. Um, I don't want to get too much into it, like spoiler wise, but um, it's a very cool, like apocalyptic sort of version of horror where it's sort of about following this small group of people trying to survive uh, like this end of the world chaos that's happening where all of society is breaking down. And again, I don't want to spoil anything, but basically like there's mobs of people after one of the characters in this group for reasons. So it's a really interesting story. It's really, really dark, but it's more sci-fi dark than kind of his short stories, which are sort of, you know, kind of more like Edgar Allan Poe kind of style. Um, but and overall, I really enjoyed his artwork, and um, I definitely recommend him if you're a fan of manga or, or horror. Definitely worth checking out. So again, it's uh, Junji Ito, which is spelled J-U-N-J-I-I-T-O. And uh, I'll put links to those in the, in the show notes. Uh, what are you into, Christina? So I've been playing Final Fantasy VI. For the first time it is considered one of the greatest like rpgs of all time so i was like i guess i have to play it even though i feel like it's going to be really hard um so i've been playing the pixel remaster on my switch and the plot of it is just sort of like a rebellion against an unjust empire and they're like sort of like enslaving magical beings and stuff and it has it's very like steampunky uh, but it has a lot of the regular like jrpg elements of that time it's turn-based came out in 1994 um it's famous because you get to suplex a train okay in it it's a ghost train oh but so it's not it's an evil train it's an evil train okay. you're trying to take you to the afterlives you have to suplex it to not go to the afterlife and it's wild it's a wild animation because like you, the character does sort of like physically pick up a whole train mm-hmm. yeah final fantasy is famous for having these very weird yeah and like sort of the main villain of the game is kind of a clown like like literally like like a literal clown like, a literal clown. like he, he is like um his face is like painted white and red and he has this like very colorful outfit and he's like a general but everybody else is like in like generic yeah. like green and blue military clothes um they did add accessibility features for it so i would there hope is... so from a game from 1994 yeah so you can adjust like how you earn experience and money and like there are all kinds of things you can turn in random encounters on and off um and you could make those higher or lower so you can actually make the game harder if you want i don't know why you would want to do that but i know some people do um and just a couple of interesting like things that i've never seen in an rpg like with their magic system which i thought was cool like there's a character whose ability is to absorb the magic and like like enemies magic against you well it could be your magic too she so she just absorbs whatever the next magical spell is and they force you to use that all the time in the game, but don't explain how to use it, which 
was great. Another Final Fantasy uh, yeah. standard. So I've been mostly having fun with it. I am stuck at a very hard oh. boss. So even I don't know. Even with the accessibility features. So like the previous boss had like 6,000 HP and I took him out with one suplex. And the next one has 24,000 HP and can do so much damage. So I've just been trying all different strategies to defeat him and have been unable to. So we'll see. I'm about. I'm Are about you at least able to like backtrack and yeah, and, like train and stuff. Yeah, I'm about halfway through the game, so okay. like I'm sure there's about to be a spike. Yeah. And I do have random encounters turned off because I hate them. Yes, I do too. That's one of the quality of life things that don't uh, that help tremendously in replaying these older games. Yeah. The, the random encounters really grind the game to a halt. Um, and yeah, Final Fantasy is kind of famous for having these speed bumps along the way. That yeah. Yeah, but I hope you can finish it. I it's on my like, you know, bucket list of games to play. I know it's Tim, our assistant director. It's his favorite Final Fantasy game in a series that has mega hits yeah. after mega hit. That that's his favorite of all of them. So, you know, on Switch, if you have the online subscription, you can see what your friends are playing. Yes. So I was on my Switch and I just pulled up the game and my phone starts ringing. And I'm like, well, who is calling me? It's like 10.30 p.m. And I'm like, oh, it's my friend Lauren. I hope everything's okay. Like, I hope this isn't like an emergency call. And she's just like, hey, how's Final Fantasy VI going for you? That's my favorite game. Have you suplexed the train yet? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> this game means a lot to a lot of people. Yeah, so I was like, I guess I made a good choice in starting to play it. So we'll see how it pans out. Yeah, I hope it pans out. And I hope you take down that clown. Um. Yeah, I I've been interested in the pixel remasters of these classic games. They're on my my wish list on Steam. So if they ever go on sale, which they very rarely do, I'll probably pick it up myself. Um. So cool. Yeah, I I'd like to hear more about it off air because uh, this is a game I've I've always been interested in as well. Cool. I see you have a lot of tangential notes there. Is there anything else you want to add? Well, a lot of them. Well, this one is about... So there's one character from Final Fantasy VI that appears in Kingdom Hearts 2, Setzer. You have to defeat him in a struggle, which is a game. So is your goal to play every game that has any mention of Kingdom Hearts? Like you're just filling in your gaps of the Kingdom Hearts universe? Kind of, but not on purpose, I guess. <laughs> I didn't even know. So when I started the game, I was like, oh, I want to play the Final Fantasy that has Kefka in it because I hear that he's a great villain and i love final fantasy villains like sephiroth on my desk so i was like great this is the one with kefka and then the train appears and i'm like is this the game i suplex a train in and then i suplex the train twice and i was like oh my god i didn't realize these were all the same game i have to play this game <laughs> all right i'm bumping it up my list um okay great so final fantasy six yes. and um i hope a library has it available on Switch. Is it available as like a physical card or are they only download? They're only download. So they are available as a physical, but they were very limited. It's probably like $300. Only to available yeah. through like the Square Enix website. And yeah, so it was like, I there are rumors that it's getting a greater release on a physical, but we'll see. We'll see. Okay, well, I only have one more thing to talk about. Um, it's another kind of spooky thing i was reading in october and i know this this is a book that i know you read as well so hopefully you can join in with me here 
Uh, the book is called Ghostland, An American History of Haunted Places by Colin Dickey. Do you remember reading this? Yes. I think you recommended I it I talk about this book to people all the time. Okay, good. It's has It's been in my thoughts ever since reading it, too. This is something I'm very into. If you've listened to previous episodes, I talk about like pulp and ghost stories and stuff a lot. Actually, in this very episode, I talked about ghost stories. Um, so this is... It's a nonfiction book where Colin Dickey um, explores the folklore of ghosts in specifically in America. And he kind of does a tour of the U.S. visiting like uh, famous haunted places. He talks about the history of the place, sort of the myths surrounding the, the ghost stories. He dispels some of the myths that he can. Um, but I think what the book is mostly focused on is the story of the people who believe the ghost stories and why they believe the ghost stories. And that's what I'm most interested in. I'm not so much interested in like the ghost story itself. I'm more interested in like why people believe in ghosts. Yeah. And this book really explores that concept more than I've ever seen in any other books. And if you have any other recommendations on this sort of subgenre, I'd be very interested in hearing it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really interesting. You know, it, if you are interested on like, kind of like the debunking ghost myth stuff, he does do some of that too. Um, but he's more concerned in, you know, how these ghost stories sort of evolve in the first place where sometimes they're kind of filling in historical accuracies or promoting historical accuracies to suit somebody's narrative, uh, for various reasons for good and bad. Um, but, you know, ghost stories can also be used as a way to sort of wrestle with the past, grieve, all sort. There's all sorts of reasons of why these ghost stories develop. So it's the book, I guess, if I could boil it down, it's, it's more on like the why of ghost stories rather than the what, which I really liked. Um, do you have any any notes on this um it's been a while since i read it but i think one of the parts that stuck out to me is he sort of talks about um the way ghost stories have evolved as like um release of like white guilt in like the plantations and stuff um and sort of addresses like the history of slavery and why we see a lot of ghost stories that originate in plantations and and things like that yeah it's a way of like keeping the history alive but depending on who's telling the ghost story yeah you can either change the story to make you know sugarcoat things or yeah like i blame some shift the blame too which is yeah like i i don't know if it was in in that book but i remember reading like about a ghost story about like a plantation home that had like um I don't want to say like a nanny, like a maid who like died suddenly. And then the family died suddenly and was like murdered. And the family would always talk about how the she was in the house with them. Her spirit lived with them because she loved them so much. Right. But it was like, this is a woman who you literally enslaved. Right. I don't think if she's sticking around, it's because she loves you. Yeah, it's, I wish, I mean, I read it over a month ago now, and you've read it even longer since, so I wish I remembered more of the the particulars of the book, but uh, I think if this is like something that you're even slightly interested in, there's a lot you can take away 
from it. Even if you're just interested in U.S. history, it offers that too. Yeah. It's not, you know, like a paranormal kook going out and investigating ghosts. He's very much like debunking ghost hunters yeah. and things like that. He has another one about the cryptids too, where he does a similar thing. Yeah, I want to read that. And I actually discovered Colin Dickey because he had a book that also came out this year in 2023 called Under the Eye of Power, I believe. Yes. I don't know if I have talked about it on this podcast before. Um, I might have, but it's it's sort of taking the same approach that he does in Ghostland, but applies it to conspiracy theories more broadly. So, you know, how they get started, why people believe them, all that sorts of stuff, which I also really, really, really enjoyed. And I highly recommend that book too. So yeah, so Ghostland by Colin Dickey, and I guess also Under the Eye of Power, I, I also recommend. Um, so that's what I got. Do you have anything else? I do. So I've been watching for many years these two like YouTube video essayists. Um, one is Defunct Land and one is Yesterworld Entertainment. So they both started off sort of doing like history of theme park rides with like some focus on Disney, but like Universal and also in other large theme parks. But they sort of expanded now to like more general entertainment things. And they have some really fantastic videos. Yesterworld did one on the Star Wars holiday special and how... The making of that came to be and they're just i watch them all the time um there's a yesterworld just came out with one about the history of who framed roger rabbit and how that movie ended up getting made so i've been watching those a lot there's also for defunct land he tends to do like really in-depth things like he did an episode on the Disney Channel theme song. This is a Disney Channel theme song and it's like four notes. And there's no credit to the writer of this song. So he was like, I'm gonna find the writer of this song and I'm gonna interview him. It'll be like a 25 minute video, no big deal. It was like a two hour video because they he just couldn't find the information. Like, And every time he would find a source and would go to fact check it like you know it wouldn't pan out or it would hit a dead end or he couldn't go any further with that information Um, and just sort of like watching him sort of struggle with like the research process of that and then he does eventually find an answer um to who wrote it but it does it took him like i like almost a year i think to like do all of this um and he also did a really good video on how the line system has evolved in Disney parks, which oh, you're like, like fast pass and things. Yeah. Okay. You're like, it's kind of like a dry topic, but it's actually like really interesting to watch. And then Yesterworld did like another video sort of companion to it that talks about more recent changes that Disney had made to their parks system. I'm not a big Disney person and I do not like the Disney parks really. I don't like the crowds. But like the concepts I'm really interested in. Um but like just how like they've actually designed lines to be worse now. Like the more people are coming like the fast pass and the genie and like all of these things are actually making it your waits longer, not shorter. So are they like 
disincentivizing people to wait in line and to shorten the lines or is it more just to push people towards buying the pass i think it's more to push people to buying the pass because i think the way it's set up now is if you don't have like the fast pass bracelet thing essentially unless you cut the line yeah you like set a time to come you are online for hours but the system only has a limited number of spots. So you have to plan your vacation so far in advance and basically down to the minute. So now going to Disney is like really a game of efficiency than like having fun. But he also does videos on like TV shows. So he did like a history of Gullah Gullah Island. Did you watch that as a child? I might have. I am getting glimpses of it, but I... (laughs) I couldn't tell you anything else about it. It's sort of like Muppets, like underground or something. No, that's that's Fraggle Rock. Okay, then I guess I haven't seen this. Um, Gullah Gullah Island was a TV show that was out probably in the mid to early nineties. In my brain, but I can't recall anything about the show. Yeah, it it was iconic. So Binya Binya is like this big yellow polywog, um, and he just goes into like the history of like the there are like two adults. Um, in this show and they're like famous storytellers and just like the history of also how Gullah Gullah Island got made which was really good Um, the videos from Yesterworld that are really good most of these notes are like Yesterworld videos that I, I was like these are great they did one on Chuck E. Cheese so the rise and fall of showbiz pizza plates and Chuck E. Cheese Pizza Time Theater which is a really interesting video if you're interested in Charles Entertainment Cheese at all or attended Chuck E. Cheese's as a child. Um, and also, have you ever... This is a weird, very niche thing. There's a, there's a video on YouTube that's called Concept Unification and it's them sort of like streamlining the animatronics when Showbiz Pizza and Chuck E. Cheese merged. No, I'm not familiar with this at all. Wild. Um, They also did one on the troubled history of, oh no, the troubled history of Black Cauldron. Oh. Which was so good. It made me read the book series that it's based off of. So the Disney movie, The Black Cauldron. Yeah, we just talked about this in our Disney episode and we uh, found it lacking. Yeah, it's bad. And it goes into why kind of it's bad. Um, like the fact that the second book is the black culture. And so they're adopting, they adapted the second book of a series. Um, and I'm just going to be naming videos, the history of Walt Disney home videos, which is, and the vault, the Disney vault, yeah. which is really good. Explain why Disney decided to do that nonsense. And also one on McDonald's land, which if you remember. Is that a theme park? No, a- that's, that's like the world that the that all the characters are set in like grimace yeah, and everything like grimace ronald the mayor mccheese yeah and i didn't know there was a there universe. was like briefly like live action things with them and they there's a lawsuit with like the creators of hr puffin stuff because that they're very clearly stole like designs it's wild but the the videos are like so well researched and like the stories are like so interesting to watch and some of them are like two hours long but some of them are like 25 to 30 minutes so they're like pretty condensed 
videos and they're just they're just so good all right well hopefully we can send some of our listeners on a rabbit hole i'll put the links to a, a few of those <laughs> a few of them uh into the show notes uh wow what a great episode we've covered a lot of ground on this episode so our listeners have a lot of uh, homework to do so much <laughs> so i think that's all we've got for this episode christina thank you so much for joining me again sure <laughs> you're welcome my presence is a gift yes Thank you, and uh, stay tuned for next episodes where we'll start talking about our favorite books of 2023. So stay tuned for that, and uh, goodbye. Bye. We stuck that landing. (laughs) 